Welcome in, everyone, to yet another episode of The People of Inferu. I'm Jason, the Silver Surfer, and I am joined today with Mitter, Happier, my man Brandon. How you doing? I'm good. I'm very mid. (laughs) (laughs) Just mid, huh? Just Just mid mid on a Monday morning. No, I'm good. I'm in a good place today. (laughs) Good. So let's let's start with the start with the easy stuff. Do you have anything for breakfast? I did. I've eaten twice already today, but I'm I'm a creature of habit. So what are the, I have a, a peach Greek yogurt, a banana, okay. a little cheese, a boiled egg, and a bowl of honey nut Cheerios. That's pretty much my standard breakfast. Nice. That's a pretty that's a pretty good breakfast, I'm not gonna lie. Yeah, it's it's gotten better over the years. I um uh, I used to get pretty stressed in like early morning high stress situations with no breakfast. So I learned my lesson. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you have to eat or else it's not a good day. <laughs> yeah. And then I just had lunch. It's normally some lunch meat and some like uh some mustard, some spicy mustard. That's, nice. that's standard lunch. Nice. Sounds like a good lunch. Yeah. Let's see. Let's uh let's just start with your username, Johnny's Lemon. What's the story? Yeah. There's a there's a slight story to that. It was kind of an inside joke, but it's this picture of Johnny Greenwood from Radiohead with a lemon. I'm pretty sure it's a shaker. It might be a real lemon. I don't know. And uh, there's just something about it. It's like his face and his lips that are just amazing. And uh, me and an old friend at one point like recreated that picture. I don't know if it exists or not. But um, yeah, so it became just sort of a thing of that lemon. But it was kind of a terrible joke, and on Inferu, like, I'm not that funny, so, like, I don't know if anyone got it unless hardcore Radiohead fans, and I'm not much for, like, a, when you become the character. So yeah. the lemon didn't really live, and Fitter Happier grew out of that, but I feel like I've gotten more mileage out of Fitter Happier, which was the adjustment. But that's that's what I can remember, the backstory there. But I'm a big Radiohead fan, so it's funny lemon <laughs> in that picture. Nice. I assume that's the profile picture. That's it was the old one. There's there's many of these from the In Rainbows era. So that this is the second one, but it's the old profile pic. But he's almost like missing it. And so he's got the lemon everywhere. He uses it a lot. He does. I think on some of the Kid A era stuff, but it comes up a lot in those self recorded videos from In Rainbows. I think. Nice. nice. Well, before we get to Radiohead, I'm sure we'll get back to it. <laughs> Let's just start with you. What's it? What's a day in the life? A day in the life, a lot of therapy. I'm a psychologist, so that's okay. a lot of lot of what I do. Um, I meditated this morning. I'm an avid meditator, about 20 minutes a day, and that's that's part of like my daily practice. What else? Um, it's it's a lot of seeing college kids and seeing young adults in therapy that's a lot of my life is sitting with thoughts and feelings and um inner psychic conflict and things like that um a lot of time with my wife i was joking with her that this is going to be the chance to rapper episode of this podcast (laughs) because i love her to death and she'll probably come up in here and uh, we got married in september so that's a big part of my life congratulations two dogs we walk three times a day and I hooped for the second time back this season, but I try to play in the spring, summer, a lot of pickup basketball on Sunday. So yesterday would have been different on my day off, but played some basketball. Nice. Nice. I, I do a soccer league on Sundays. So okay, I'm a big fan of, you know, staying active. And I, I mean, I don't, I'm not one for like working out like a normal person. I like, uh-huh. I like playing sports. I like, you know, physically. yeah with something with with friends and stuff (laughs) so it's a lot more motivating for me i do lift just lightly three times a week but i'm i can't do cardio at all like i'm not the person that's going to just go for a run but i'll run all day if i'm playing basketball you're a goalkeeper right if i remember or no yeah 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 i play goalkeeper and i've been trying this this last (laughs) season to play out in the field just because this new league we play for we can go into the intricacies of it intricacies of it i guess but it's very it's a small field because it's like made for adults that you know don't have much conditioning so um it's annoying as a goalkeeper it really is because every shot comes from like I don't know, five feet away. So you can't really do much. So it's been not fun, I would say, as the goalkeeper part. But so I've been, we got another friend to split halves with me. And so I've been out in the field a little bit, but yeah. 
Yeah, I'm a very mid basketball player. I'm very average. I played uh, maybe eighth grade and then some rec leagues, but we've done it a lot in my adult life, just pick up like three on three and stuff like that. So nice. I, I love the game, but I'm not very good. <laughs> That's fine. That's fine. You don't have to be. It's all about fun and fulfillment. Yeah. Okay. Are you just a all around guy? You you call yourself a point guard? What what are you doing on the court? When I played in rec leagues and stuff, a shooting guard, my handles aren't quite like Jason Kidd or anything like that. But uh, I like to shoot. I'm like five seven, five eight. I'm putting myself on blast here. But um, yeah. So I I do what I can. We played. We had somebody that was like six seven. One of my friends brought a friend for the first time. So I can't bang inside with that. But I, I'm definitely probably a two guard at heart. Nice, nice. That's good stuff. You know, controlling the court, being the man behind the scenes. You know, yeah. don't have to be doing anything. Don't have to be flashy. Make some good passes. Yeah, <laughs> I'm big on the sense of community too. Some of my family. My dad's actually a high school girls coach, and okay. um, has coached pretty much my whole life. So my siblings play a little bit, and um, and then some friends. So it's a nice blending of my worlds too, which is cool. Nice, nice. I want to bring it back to work and Radiohead. Real quick. Yeah. <laughs> without without Radiohead, are you a psychologist? That's a great question. Um, <laughs> no, they shaped a lot of my life. And it's yeah. kind of like um, reciprocal in the sense that a lot of stuff I didn't know I was into or believed in, in terms of philosophy and psych and worldview stuff kind of unfolded and is in especially in okay computer but i was just like a kid getting stoned listening to okay computer over and over again in like high school and kid a too um but there's a lot of like postmodern and critical thought in there there's some existentialism there's a lot of stuff i got into later in life that was already potent in those mm. moments so that is a fair question i am um, i went in undecided but kind of fell for my intro to psych professor. He was one of the coolest individuals I've ever met. And I wanted to do what he did in my first year of college. And then um, ended up in therapy myself, probably my second year into my mm -hmm. third school. And those two people, first a psychologist and then specifically doing therapy as opposed to like teaching or research had a profound impact on me. But I don't know. It might have been Radiohead first. <laughs> <laughs> your your actual in-person influences via your therapist and professor versus tom york yeah <laughs> funny story too my therapist had a bunch of um what's his name the guy that does the toll artwork alex gray if you've ever seen the cover of Ten Thousand days um okay. he's a famous artist he's awesome and has a really cool story and um and I ended up in my therapist's office in college and uh, he had this Alex Gray artwork and I immediately recognized it due to a toll record. And uh, it was an interesting story. But so toll might have had an influence in there, too, at some point. Good, good. Um, do you have anything that you'd like to share just about what makes being a psychologist or therapy like what what makes it fulfilling what you like about it i know you probably can't talk about clients or anything i'm not asking. yeah no nothing specific but i i love it i love the work i do i love giving back as someone who's been helped um yeah. i'm big on well-being as a way of life like practices and i I, I i think i posted recently that i really like your wisdom questions in here because uh i'm big on practices and kind of integrating well-being in your your life and your personhood and for me it's like uh it is a vocation in a way but it's also like what I would be doing otherwise <laughs> I just kind of get paid for it which is really cool I mean obviously there's a skill set in a way of active listening not sharing about yourself and there's tracking emotion there's skills but it's still what I kind of love to do which is cool and um gives me a sense of purpose but I found yeah. a lot of peace in just sitting eyeball to eyeball and kneecap to kneecap with somebody, even in some painful moments and some tragedy and just being able to be present in the raw stuff of life, like the the psyche. Um, it's really special, actually, and I feel blessed and grateful to be able to do that sort of work. 
It is. No, it's incredibly fulfilling work and good work. So thank you for doing it. And thank you for helping people process. I mean, everyone has so much trauma going in and going on in their life. Everyone has something. So um, yeah, yeah, good stuff. Um, How about we talk about the practice of it? How does one be so mindful? How does one uh, put into like, uh, like you said, like just kind of happiness and all of your, all of that fun stuff, how you, how you put it? How does one practice that? Yeah. I guess there's there's many Gandhi said this sometime oh I sound so obnoxious already on here Um, many paths up the mountain you know I think there's many ways to do it um for me I I don't know it's an interesting story I come through mindfulness through recovery actually and I know there's a few of us on the boards I won't get into the specifics of like a 12-step program on here but I definitely found meditation and mindfulness through that world. And I know there's a few of us on the board, so I'll, you know, kind of speak to that as much as we want, but it started with meditation and I I have some Christian roots that I question nowadays, but that came through like a close reading of the gospel and some sacred reading and these sort of practices that I really liked. Um, I think that's how I came to it, but there's many ways I think. And then as far as being mindful, somebody was on here, I forget who it was that I just listened to about curiosity and they were, it was all about remaining curious. And I don't know if that was Deagleberry or Dan, I think it was Deagleberry to one before him, but um, somebody's wisdom was to always remain curious. And I think that's a great way of being mindful, just noticing and being aware of what's going on within you and outside of you. I think I've heard you mention um, description, like just describing what's in your immediate area, focusing mm-hmm. on these sort of things. But um, good teachers are another way to become mindful. So I had someone in college not long after I got sober um, who was a Buddhist psychologist and got into meditation to become a better therapist, but then fell for Buddhism. And um, he t- he was the first person, I think, that taught me like a formal meditation practice in a class. It was like a transpersonal psychology class or a psycho religion and spirituality. And then I've had other ones normally in psych. I worked at a state hospital for a while and we had a seminar in there where we meditated together and did some guided meditations. YouTube's great. Calm app for free right on YouTube is good. But for me, it, it, it had to come down to an intention. I did a lot of guided, but now I have like an intentional practice where I sit for 20 minutes and I try. Sometimes I peek and check the time. Sometimes I check my phone, but I try to be present to whatever's coming up for me in that moment. Oh, and then journaling. Sorry, I'm talking a lot here, but I keep a journal. And I, it helped me keep the practice to journal it after. It made it like more real instead of just meditating for five minutes and then forgetting the next day. So I write the date, how long, my location, and then just a summary of like what comes up, certain thoughts or feelings, kind of an inventory of what's going on for me. And that's kind of what my meditations look like. But there's a lot of soft practices, like just listen to music. I would argue when I was getting high to those albums in like (laughs) sophomore year of high school that that was probably an introduction to being able to hear the music differently and be fully present to the sound. So I there's not one way you know live music is another way and being present at a show and hearing that and feeling the the warmth of the people around you or the the vibrations of the sound and things like that the smells of the crowd nice nice thank you thank you and i'm sure we'll have you know some some more wisdom to share at the back of the show <laughs> yeah and if i get going feel free to introduce no, that's a, this is your episode i will i will get going <laughs> No, this is your episode. That's what we're here for. You yeah. talk about your life and your experiences. It's um, why I wanted to do this in general. Just everyone has things to share. So I mean, yeah. you ramble, you ramble. That's just what it is. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. It would. It's it's authentic. I can promise you that. That's on brand. <laughs> good, good. All right. So um, share with us, I guess, just what, why meditation in general? Like what, why should someone go out and do it? Yeah, I don't, if you don't love it, I would say that I'd find a different practice. I don't know if I would recommend it for everybody. Okay. Said music would be a great one. For some people, it's prayer. There's a, a Christian version called Centering Prayer. Um, 
I would recommend some quiet time, maybe not meditation, but I think um, some time alone with our thoughts allows us, like you said, the process and the checking ourselves and to be conscious of what's within. Um, and I think that's extremely important, but, but not just meditation, like, you know, yeah. I think uh, Rami was on here talking about hiking and a lot of outdoors experiences on the on the boards and I think um that's that's another version of mindfulness for me it was just shutting the other stuff off you know and I'm doing a lot I'm an active person I guess I'm an extrovert and I'm I'm a doer for sure so I can kind of work too much and I did grad school and school and everything else and it's a time to just commit to not doing <laughs> or to just yeah. be. and um and with technology you know like I'm on my phone a lot and now I, I've resisted the boards for a while. I was just a lurker for like years, but now I'm kind of in the boards, like one foot in, one foot out, or maybe yeah. not in this podcast, two feet in. <laughs> but um, I, it's a time where I'm not not plugged into technology and those 20 minutes, and nothing against technology, but I can just kind of chill out and be, and I think that intentional practice is important for me. And I think a lot of people in our generation are kind of craving that. And probably even more so um, because we're overstimulated a lot. So overstimulated. It's awful. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Let's move on. We can maybe come back to it, but let's just talk about uh, hobbies, interests, all that fun stuff. And we'll start, obviously, with Inferu. How did you mm -hmm. find us? What's your Bonnaroo history? All of that. Yeah, I guess I've been reflecting on that as I would listen to some of the some of the pods. Um I come from a lurker on the Lala boards, actually. I started my first three-day festival or out of Pittsburgh, more than one day. Concert mm -hmm. thing was Lollapalooza 2008, and it absolutely changed my life. Um, my aunt is a sweetheart, Aunt April. She took me and like four friends out, and we stayed in a hotel in Chicago, and I was probably like a junior. I was between, I think, my junior and senior year of high school. And um, I started going to Lala yearly. We wanted to go back every year after that and started finding out that there was rumors and fakes and these sort of things on the Lala board. Some of the personalities still exist on, on InfoRu. So that's the backstory. But eventually Radiohead played 2012. I was, I like to camp. I'm not a super outdoorsy person, but I can camp. And, and pitch a tent and kayak and these sort of things. So the camping was not a deterrent. It was drivable. Um, I actually flew my first year, um, which is a whole story in itself. But anyways, I was going to, I was going to Bonnaroo 2012, primarily for, for the whole lineup, but Radiohead's what got me there. And I wanted information, like a lot of people say. I think I might've been looking for the meeting. So there's a community called Soberoo that meets yep. in there not connected to any specific 12-step community and it's a really really cool space where a lot of different people from a lot of different backgrounds um or even just people that want to be sober for the weekend people that are supporting a family member and i i heard through someone from the yellow ballooners from like the grateful dead community that or fish that does those sort of meetings on the road with with jam bands that this existed at Bonnaroo and I think I was looking for that but I was also privy to the boards via the Lala boards so I started lurking back in 2012 and lurked for probably far too long and eventually a friend of mine who's not on the boards we were going up to Panorama for Frank and he said like why don't you just like create an account I don't even know I don't even know how it started but it was definitely in the heat of the Frank rumors and um the heat of like blonde and some stuff that was going on then and i'm like all right i've been lurking far too long i need to actually become a part of this thing i had like an awful first post and probably got roasted for just posting like pearl jam in the panorama boards or something <laughs> um but but here we are so yeah so that's that's the long story of it but it was definitely looking for some scoops looking for some tent information and looking for some sober people Kind of a combination of those three and i found it and was in the beginning like the logistics of camping i think even like the pitting and figuring out how to pit for for radiohead um to be up front and these sort of things and then it turned into much much more <laughs> yeah yeah we're glad to have you so how many bonners have you been to 
I did, I think six in a row, 12 through 17. And I, I, uh, yeah, yeah. It was awesome. It's for a while. It was my favorite festival. Some of those, especially 12, 13 and 14 are up there. Even 16 kind of compete with my favorite moments at any festival. I love the camping element. I love the immersive aspect, but my group changed and transformed. I ended up in grad school the drive and the commitment was long. The lineup started to change and I would totally go back for the right lineup. But the only one that really gave me FOMO was that one that I think a lot of people have talked about. I think it got canceled, but like the reboot, I like maybe 20 or 21 during COVID. Um, but without getting too lengthy, you know, I'm an adult now and like married and, um, do I still do festivals, but the combination of like grad school, COVID, moving for an internship and getting married and just finding other festivals I like and better like concerts in Pittsburgh that weren't there five, six, seven years ago. Um, that sort of stuff has led me away. But sorry, I'm rambling. But yeah, I, I did 12 through 17. I'd love to talk about any of them. I love Bonnaroo. It makes me kind of sad that I haven't been back in a while. It happens. Life catches up and it just keeps turning, right? You just gotta, yeah. you'll be back with a good lineup. I know it. I, I'm kind <laughs> of the same way too. It's just I, the lineup's so different these days. It's it's strange. Um, so you're in Pittsburgh? So you said, I am. Yeah. Nice. I'm in, I'm born and raised and um, I'm here to settle down. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So before we move on from Bonnaroo, and you brought up a bunch of few points that we'll unpack in a, in a few minutes, but what was your favorite show at, at, at any of your Bonnaroo experiences? You could share a couple. If you need I think to. I ranked them after saying rank them. I thought this was going to become a thread, but I realized that sometimes maybe saying and I are just excessive because I think there's like three of us that did our top hundred shows. I I have to imagine I put I put Radiohead there as number one at 2012. I was in the pit. We waited all day. Um it was cool because I um I'm used to Lala, like the old school law where you're just like up on the rail all day. But the pit line, you could like go and get ice cream and like pee and people would let you back in. There was like a community. Yeah. But yeah, we were like the ones that like ran down the black eyed peas whenever they opened the main field and waited all day. And um it was a wild experience. I got bit actually by a VIP person. It was insane, but that was probably the best Bonnaroo show I've ever seen hands down but there was some close ones that Boney Bear 2012 show also from the pit was really good from the rail um the combination of like Kanye Jack White Frank in 14 that whole year was awesome <laughs> Jack White kept going and it was so good and it was kind of it I was like in the Jack White and the White Stripes but I like knew I needed to be at Frank and I knew yeah. I think they kept pushing Frank's show back but i ran like booked it from jack white's encore to frank but caught most of or the second half of frank's channel orange set was really good um but yeah of course radiohead was number one dark side was really good as far as like a night that animal collective 13 was tremendous that uh that night show was probably my favorite late night of all time I'm sure I'm missing some, but yeah, I'm going to give the cake to Radiohead and Boney Bear my first year. It kind of set the tone. Oh, LCD from the pit was insane. And I had a group that year. I had a lot of close friends with me that we brought down, maybe one of the bigger for us groups that we brought. And in that pit, you'll hear people on Infrared talking about it all the time. That was awesome. And I didn't sacrifice my whole day. I just watched like J. Cole from the pit line and we still made it in and stuff. We weren't like rail, but we were in there. And I loved LCD and thought I was never going to see them again before that comeback. So that was definitely, definitely up there. Uh, there's something special about that pit where they clear it out and let you in. There's that's a special experience. I hope they never. I'm worried that they're going to like start charging for that or that that's going to become premium VIP bullshit platinum. But that's a special experience. I agree. I agree. It's uh, seeing a show at the pit at Bonnaroo is a whole nother level it's just a whole nother level and it's to me especially if it's an artist you really like extremely worth the sacrifice of waiting in line all day and missing some undercard bands like i mean it sucks but i mean it just like it it makes any show at, at least an eight out of ten and then it's a show you really like and it's like a 15 out of ten <laughs> right there oh yeah 
Yeah, the big ones I've done are Radiohead and Bon Iver and LCD. I think those are the only main ones for like a headliner or like big act, but I've done a couple even small shows in there. It was great in the witch pit too. Yeah. John Misty in there and it just elevated the whole experience being on the rail versus out in the field on witch. And um, that was awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Before we move on from Bonnaroo, I guess any fun little Bonnaroo hacks you have, anything that makes your weekend there easier back in the day? Um. I, I'll shout out. I did it already, but Soberu, I will shout that out to the couple people on the boards who might be hesitant to go back or people who've been there that that same my first year in 12, I spent just like the next day weeping for the beginning of that that day and being able to facilitate a meeting for people coming together that just want to find some some peace and some sobriety that weekend. And that's a really, really special place to me. I think I've gone to those meetings almost every time I've been to Bonnaroo and probably multiple in a weekend. Um, I don't know the people. I know a few people in that community, but not well. But just being able to be in that space and yeah. feel a little oasis in the and really the belly of the beast for someone like me. Um, that's a special experience. And I don't have a lot of hacks. It was different in 12 and 13 than it is now. I love 10 only. I did the first year I flew into Nashville and took the shuttle and did 10 only like right outside of the arch, which was awesome. Um, I love the old, uh, the old, it's all probably different now, but the, the shed, the barn in pod two, I watched the penguins win the Stanley cup there one year and it was awesome. The 16 year, I think we skipped out on the Dead and Company. We Dead and Company played so long that we could watch the Pens win the Stanley Cup parade in to Centeru with a, a foil Stanley Cup and then still watch the second half of the dead set, which was cool. Um, <laughs> not a lot of hacks, though. I was an amateur, like just a tent, like nothing in first year. And then I, I recruited some people at work at a hospital I used to work at. And, um, a girl I went to college with and then some friends along the way, different years, but a friend from high school, a friend from my sober community. Nice. And we kind of grew into the easy ups and the, the actual campsite. And, uh, but I was, I was amateur the first couple of years. I just brought a tent. I brought some cash. I spent a lot of time in center row, basically just slept in my tent and would yeah. be annoyed when someone would be playing like the riff to schism over and over again on like a bass on an amp first thing in the morning or that like, <laughs> 100 degree heat um but no i don't i don't know if i have any hacks um okay. stay up late oh that i will say if they still have it the intelligentsia coffee it's overpriced but that cold brew first thing in the morning i'd run in the center room and have an intelligentsia cold brew at like noon the set to start my day i don't know if that's a hack or not but i live for that <laughs> that sounds really good a nice cold brew right right in center room yeah i don't know if you if you drink coffee or not but intelligentsia is kind of like a higher end company but it's good okay. good beans yeah no, i'm a big coffee guy i just i mean i just i do a french press myself at home me but, too that's what I, I do as well. I skip that in the morning, but I make myself and my wife coffee. That's the other thing I've had for breakfast today. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, what kind of, while we're on it, what, what's your, what kind of coffee you get? What do you that's get? it. Yeah. That's it. It's this intelligentsia. It's like a lighter bean. I'm stuck on this Honduras right now, but that's, uh, that's it. I grind it at home. It's way too expensive. Um, but I say <laughs> drink. So it's like, I get the five pound bags and get it shipped to my house and it's, it's way too expensive, but I don't, you know, you know it's like for, us. for a coffee at Starbucks. So yeah, <laughs> that's how I justified it for sure. In the beginning. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay. Is it okay if we talk about this? You could say no, but would you like to talk about your path to sobriety? Yeah, yeah, I'm happy. Like I said, out of respect for some traditions and stuff, I won't say the specific like groups and names of that stuff. And I'm not going to drop my last name for that reason. But I think we're safe as long as I'm not speaking for the group as a whole or saying yeah. anything detrimental to, to recovery more broadly. I think we're safe, but I'm sure yeah. like more people will listen to this podcast anyway. So as long as it doesn't become a hit. I think, um, and I will say shout out to Post Jack. I don't know Post Jack, but I literally cried. If you can find this, I don't know if you've seen his post, but once in a blue moon, he'll post about his journey, and I shed some tears reading that. Um, 
in the way he worded it, it was powerful. So, yeah, we talked about it on. He has a people of info episodes. So I don't know if you've gotten to it yet, but we definitely. I'm a few. I'm a few episodes away, but I've been listening to a lot of music recently, and it's it's a battle each day. Yeah. Um, I'm face to face in my work. I don't get a lot of downtime to listen to music. So, um, yeah, I was. I come from a family of people that identify as like addicts and alcoholics, especially the men on my family go all the way back in uh, generations, like great grandfather, probably farther back is struggling with alcohol use. Both of my parents were in recovery communities when they met and had me. So I was kind of doomed from the start. <laughs> um, but some if you care about a genetic argument or not, or uh, other other reasons why that might come to be. Um, I loved I loved smoking pot more than anything. And then eventually got into opiates and loved that. I loved drinking pretty much anything I found other than stimulants. I kind of fell in love with immediately. And so I was in by 16, I was in inpatient rehab um, for pharmaceuticals and some other stuff. And then off and on sober from then on my, it's actually amazing. My aunt, I came out of that rehab and my aunt still bought me those tickets for Lollapalooza <laughs> and um, had a few months of sobriety then and got to go to that. Most of my festival experiences are sober except Lollapalooza 2009, which is funny. I've made, I made some like horrible decisions on who I saw and like infinitely regret missing Lou Reed at that festival. <laughs> and now he's dead probably because I like stoned and with my girlfriend at the time and like at Mastercraft or something that <laughs> I like it pains me to talk about that but long story short I ended up in college I was a daily drinker like morning to night um would get pretty sick if I didn't drink was on a bunch of substances and but every time I did hallucinogenics I would get sober again I would kind of go back and, and clean my life up for a couple months and I yeah was on a kind of I was more had done acid and that's what always happened and then I was on a kind of mushroom kick for a while and I did these gold caps me and my friends split like a cut or a quarter or something and I went to this coffee shop in Pittsburgh by myself and tripped my balls off and um had a realization like basically felt like if I was gonna I was gonna die soon the way I was living I was like severely underweight I wasn't eating a lot um had kind of suicidal ideation wasn't in a good place and um was hurting a lot of people I loved and family, the girlfriend I had at the time, and felt like if I died, that that's all I was going to be remembered as was kind of like a liar and a cheat. And um, and I wasn't sure about the afterlife, but if there if there is one or was one that it was going to be, and in this state of tripping, it felt like eternal suffering. Everything in the coffee shop was kind of dying, and it felt there was no sense of time, and it was very yeah. much this is eternity and this is the negative side of eternity <laughs> i don't want to be in eternal pain if i even believe in that you know and if there isn't it's just going to be black and i'm going to be remembered i was start i was starting to dip my toes in existentialism and this was kind of coming from that and i sat and i cried and i tried to read this gnostic bible gospel and all the font was changing to every font i ever seen on a computer and falling the page and i put my head down and like person tending the coffee shop just kind of would wipe around me and I I was it felt like eternity I was probably there for like two hours or something but I uh I went back and I had a little bit of Nikolai 100 proof left in a half gallon and I dumped it down the toilet and then I went into DTs and I actually had like a psychosis from withdrawal and from probably the mushrooms and a mix of things for about two weeks I thought I was the second coming of Christ and uh tried to heal this girl's eye in the cafeteria she was blind in one eye and I put my hand over her eye and she goes, please don't touch me. <laughs> Thought I had magical powers and was going to get nailed to a cross and save the earth. I had a lot of weird messianic delusions, but eventually I came, I ended up with that therapist and kind of came back down the earth and I got sober. I um, found a 12 step community and, and did that whole route again. And this time it stuck. It's been about 12 years, a little over 12 years. Wow. Congratulations. Thanks. That's the abridged version. I give a 45 minute version of that sometimes, but that's just kind of the peak in the end of it. But, uh, but yeah, I, I realized, I guess in that trip that I'd saw everything I needed to see. And I had some other hallucinogenic experiences. Where I kind of kept having this sense that like, I don't necessarily need to go back to these things to have these thoughts and feelings. And 
not to say that for other people. If you're if you can do it in a moderate way that doesn't destroy your life, I have nothing against any really specific substance. Um at least the natural ones. But I think for me, it was just a realization that I couldn't do this without making it my entire life. And then I had to choose between like things I cared about, like school or family um, or my own physical well-being and health and other other values or, or going down that route. And kind of for me, it was a very like hedonistic, pleasure focused route. And I know that's not the case for everybody, but there wasn't like a a dial to moderate it was kind of all or nothing mm -hmm. well thank you for sharing it's yeah you know very personal information and I'd i don't like to, i don't uh, mind i'm an open book so again yeah. probably will leave my last name off of this just in case yeah <laughs> my employer might care but i i don't <laughs> no, definitely not okay i had one specific question i wanted to ask okay uh you can choose not to answer this question, but it just got me thinking. Uh, it's something that's been going around, especially in your field a lot recently, and that's micro-dosing micro mushrooms. Uh -huh. uh, do you actually think that there's therapeutic, I mean, obviously there can be therapeutic effects, but uh, do you think that it could be a dangerous step or? You know, it's you interesting. Yeah, I um, I was just talking to my boss about this. I have a lot of experience with mushrooms and, and some psychedelics, and I have experience with therapy. But for me, those two worlds have never mixed. I've seen a little bit of the research. Someone at a local university here at a symposium I was at pre presented, but was kind of lumping things together in a way that for me, each of these substances and chemicals are very different, like ketamine and psilocybin. Um, so I think it's a little odd to kind of do research or literature reviews on all of it together. But I, I've seen that presented and it looked like there was some promising steps um obviously they're getting some progress but for short term for severe depression with ketamine but as far as psilocybin i think i think there could be uh, my boss is going to a talk on this here recently so i would have more more information maybe when he gets back i am certainly no expert on it but i could see for a certain type of person that might be blocked off to their own psyche or might have trouble accessing certain feelings in the right safe environment how it could be helpful but i think equally i could see it getting kind of messy in a way that i feel pretty confident in my skills to contain emotion in the therapy room and the like work within the boundaries of the therapeutic hour and relationship and then i have a pretty strong alliance and i guess my experience not which none of it was with microtosing i'll say that caveat right Right. That would be, it would just change that. And sometimes things could happen that I feel like would be a little harder to manage as a, as a therapist, but I don't know. I'm kind of like an eat to each their own person. And therapy is not a homogenous thing. There's a lot of different ways of doing it. Theoretical orientations, the relationship is kind of standard between those and some certain skill sets, but how people believe in terms of like a mechanism of change is very different. Um, so I don't want to necessarily shit on anybody's parade. Yeah. For me, I have a little bit of a bias just because of my own personal history and use. And it was a really good one. It changed my life and it got me sober, but it also was one that included a lot of bad trips, um, especially on LSD, especially when mixed with stimulants and, um, I would hate to be doing the sort of work I do now and something like that happen. Like, and so that scares me a little bit. Mm -hmm. I, I was talking to a trainee the other day to someone that's training to get their doctorate, but has a master's and a license who I work with. And he said something very interesting, which is that he believes, or at least has a hunch that it's people that don't believe in their own skills as therapists, which I thought was interesting that you kind of need this extra something. Um, and for me, like certain, certain substances, you know, like antidepressants are, are really good for some people and other people, they're not necessary. They, and they can help therapy in some ways and they can kind of block it off in other ways. Um, so I would hate to make this anything more than like an individualized approach, but he, he had an interesting point, which I, I've been chewing on, which is just simply like, for me, therapy, something separate it's it's you don't necessarily need the psilocybin to do the work of therapy and for that it, it 
just wouldn't be therapy anymore, but I think it would be an enhanced kind of different thing. They used MDMA for couples counseling. I'm pretty sure that when it was legal and um, I could see some benefit to it. So by no means am I an expert on anything I said, though. So that's the caveat. This is really just my own kind of subjective ramblings. But I guess I could see it helpful for some and maybe not some for the other. But I do think you'll see it in states where it's legal, that research is being done. And I think you'll see it continue to move forward, like in places like Colorado. Nice. Nice. Thank you for sharing your insight on it and your thoughts. Um, How much of getting back on track (laughs) in your own life is, I mean, up to you? How much of it is just at the end of the day, a personal choice and discipline? Oh, that's tough. <laughs> I'm I'm torn between this because as a I'm like a paradox in a lot of ways. But as an existentialist, I think a lot of our life is freedom and taking kind of responsibility for our choices and kind of willing yourself free. And as someone that exists in recovery communities with a usually a disease conceptualization, it's almost the opposite philosophy. It's very much um one that believes that this is an illness beyond your control and that once you're kind of so far down the rabbit hole with a certain substance, it can become uh, that you're powerless over it and that you lack control, that the whole definition of an ism, like an alcoholism or an addiction is that you don't have control over it, even when you're abstinent, that there's a sort of mental aspect where you obsess over it or you go back to it and there are just these strange mental blank spots that you can't kind of say no at certain times and that they would argue that it's not a question of will and that there needs to be some sort of intervention, whether that be the divine or like a moral or like psychological change of heart that's beyond the will, um, the spiritual in nature, but maybe not. Where do I stand in all that? I stand somewhere between those two points (laughs) and maybe at times with both of them, I realize that they're contradictory, but I think for me, when I get sober and have the opportunity, I have a brief window of clarity that I then regain choice. And that means I can do things to better myself. I can amend past relationships. I can meditate. I can get connected to the spiritual realm or nature or a power of some sense even if that's just a community of people that believe in kind of uh moving forward and a certain philosophy of life i think there is choice then but when you're in the grips of it i don't know i don't know how much choice there is it usually feels against your own will that you're doing these things in my experience nice Thank you. I think that's that's something that I've always just been kind of curious about. Um, and, you know, you're a professional, so figure that out. <laughs> yeah, I'll speak from my experience more than my profession. But even within the profession, there's different different uh, philosophies on it, some biological, some psychological. But if humans are complex. We're not like rocks, you know, we're yeah. we're beyond kind of reduction. Sometimes we're transcendent kind of <laughs> we're hard to be to nail down as a thing and I think that makes us a lot harder to study and to understand but I will say for me there is intention in in staying sober and moving forward in that direction and that means like engaging with a community of people doing the same thing or not um meditating or not um apologizing and amending past relationships or not these sort of things are are certainly choices once you have that reprieve. Yeah, I think that's a good way to put it. Um, you've talked about it a lot, so we might as well unpack it. Existentialism, question mark. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, I don't know how much you want to go into all of this, but I, I fell in love with it in undergrad, probably sophomore year. I had already had a little bit of exposure to psychoanalysis which was probably my first love in terms of philosophy and psych, like Freud stuff, Carl Jung, some of that. And um, I fell for like Nietzsche, the gay science. I think that was one of the first quote unquote existential texts I really like fell in love with. 
some other stuff, Kierkegaard, Kafka. And then that led me to like Simone de Beauvoir. I probably just butchered that. Um, <laughs> Her Ethics of Ambiguity is another book that changed my life. Um, Sartre, a lot of the French existentialist. Um, for me, a core tenant is this idea that existence precedes essence, meaning that like our actions, our embodied life, this, this existence um, comes first and that any sort of essence of like what we are as humans grows out of that versus the idea that we're essentially good or essentially evil that you find in other philosophies like person-centered psychology or Christianity um, or even Freud in psychoanalysis would say we're essentially aggressive and sexual, that there is no essential human but that we are what we do essentially which is i guess a paradox again um what do you want to know what are you are you in existential do you read philosophy uh i took i took an introductory to philosophy class my freshman year of college uh, uh -huh. i kind of like it but it was more like i had to take it uh, <laughs> was that the ancients or was that more modern it was kind of just a very small toe in the water of all of it uh-huh all the way up until I guess like kind of modern stuff. <laughs> yeah. So so I I'm very much in the realm of continental. A lot of people I know like analytic and I know nothing about that. And a lot of people like the ancients. I've read a little like Plato and things like that. But I kind of squarely am into existential, which I read a lot less now. And then I got really into post-structuralism and some critical theory things. Um which are really cool, but probably lengthy for this podcast. <laughs> um, and I'm certainly not, I'm a psychologist, so I'm not an expert on those things, but it was definitely a hobby and a pastime in, in college and in my master's program. And then the work of psychotherapy kind of became more of a love. But for me, the, the two are integrated. Like there has to be a philosophy and a theory making sense of what I do. So, yeah, but I like it i think especially for like someone that's questioning christianity <laughs> or their roots in like a western world that there's a lot of um value in reading it i like it and it's like watered down psychological sense would be more people like rollo may or yalom mm -hmm. but i like those french folks that i talked about especially simone de Beauvoir and um and nietzsche those or he's german but kind of influenced the french camp but yeah too but um he's a nazi so <laughs> what there is to say about that but it's a so lot of college and that i don't read anymore so i guess i'm a little out of my scope there too okay fair enough well um what do you have any just fun little hobbies interests that you like outside of you know your work out of your music what do you do yeah um I collect vinyl, probably not a surprise for some of us on the boards. That's fun as like a passive hobby. I just like going to shops and like looking for old stuff, buying stuff. Um, and my wife's gotten really into it over the years. And so we do that together and buy each other gifts. And she bought me a, a record player for a Christmas or two ago. And it was really nice. Um, I meditate. I work out. I really was someone that was resistant. I was like really into the mind and these sort of things. And I was like, I don't care about my body for a lot of my life. <laughs> and now I really care about my body. And um, I'm just trying to catch up and like take care of my heart as I get older and like, no, I'm going to live. Like, I didn't think I was going to live to 30. So like yeah. now being about to be 32, I'm like, yeah, I should probably lift some weights and like play some basketball. Yeah. We go to a lot of shows too. Not so much as people in Infra Room. I'm always surprised that I what I thought was a lot is not a lot. Um, I used to do three or four festivals a year. And now I do like one. We've got Primavera coming up for the first time ever slash honeymoon. And that's my first one back since COVID. But I go to a couple of shows a month here locally in, in like the Ohio PA area. Um that's it. And I work like 50 hours a week, which is not good, but I um, have a side job and my main job and I'm just trying to get established. I just got licensed. So work is like a very important part of my life. 
my wife and I watch a lot of movies. We're big on A24. That kind of intersected with InfoRoot 2 with the A24 bracket and COVID. We watched every A24 movie available, <laughs> which is maybe sick, but um, it was a fun project we did during COVID at the very beginning of it. And now I've been keeping up with that. Um, <laughs> so uh, big on film um, and good food here locally. Those are kind of my hobbies and what I do outside of I know some of that was music related but outside of work good cool sounds like you've got tons of stuff to keep you busy that's awesome lots of it happy to talk about any of it <laughs> um well I know you said you you might talk about your wife a lot so I'll let you how much does having <laughs> having uh you know I mean like I like collecting things with my girlfriend it makes things it makes it a lot more fun like do you agree do you find it that because your wife is also into collecting records that that makes it a lot more fun and easier to collect your records yeah yeah i would definitely agree with that i mean it's selfish but to be able to buy her them but no it's also a gift for me as yeah awesome. yeah <laughs> does that resonate with you <laughs> no definitely definitely like oh yeah because uh, when when blonde got repressed i i made that uh her christmas present i was like yeah oh, I want blonde. You like blonde. <laughs> Got you a Christmas present. Who, what was it? Todd? Who put that on the board? Shout out to whoever that is. That person is probably my favorite person on InfoRu right now. <laughs> you know who that was? Was that you? I don't know who. It I was. don't know. I I just saw it. I don't know how I saw it, but I just saw it. I think it was. It might have been K, uh, KPO. It probably was KPO. All I know is that. <laughs> I did not get the original pressing. I think I was doing, I was training as a therapist. I was probably in the therapy and you can't be on the internet all day. Um, and I was very upset that I, it was like one day I didn't check the internet. Like one day I didn't check InfoRoo. Happened to be the day that Bond got released and like sold out before I like opened Pitchfork or whatever. And I, <laughs> I was very mad about this for a long time. And now I'm like in a different place in my life. And it was just like oddly like a Saturday or something. And I was at home on InfoRoo and like immediately when that got posted, I was able to buy that. And I was so grateful. <laughs> Friend of mine, I found it at a record shop up in like Rochester, New York. And I was so mad at him too, because it, it was legit. It wasn't like a fake. And he got it for like the regular price at this warehouse. And I thought it was like impossible to find. And I just wasn't going to pay $300 on eBay or something or $500 for it. Yeah. So it's very, very grateful for that repressing. <laughs> so shout out to KPO or whoever posted that because I'm very grateful for you. Um, that's probably my favorite record and favorite show of all time. Yeah. Uh, it's very close to number one for both. And um, so I needed that. And it was nice to pay whatever I paid for it for the repressing. But yeah. yeah, we love buying each other stuff. We love going to like local shops and do that. Um, during the pandemic, we spent a year up in Syracuse for training for our uh, doctorates. And that was uh, something we could do safely at the Sound Garden up there, which is a cool little indie shop. <clears throat> um, so yeah, it's fun. Good, good. Well, you... And somehow I set up a perfect segue. This is a question I've been wanting to ask since you kind of brought it up earlier. You brought up uh, going to see Frank Ocean. You've brought mm -hmm. up a Radiohead fandom. Mm -hmm. In your professional opinion, who do you think is better at writing introspective music? <laughs> yeah, a lot of professional questions here. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. um, I would say Blonde. When I first heard Blonde for the first time, it felt like I was inside Frank's head or that the vulnerability in the way that sonically, not just lyrically, it represented what I imagine his being the like, or at least the world that he wanted to create yeah. for Blonde. And even that idea of just Blonde as, as that, that's become like a ubiquitous, like we all know what each other means, you know, like that world of that. I would have to say wins and I I saw him at that Panoramasa show and I often refer to that as my favorite show of all time even though the six Radiohead shows probably come in right right after that for a while it was that 2012 pitch show all of the runs on the immune shape pole law ACL the one in Pittsburgh and the one in Philly that I saw maybe their last show might be number one I saw in Philadelphia like day two which right now is the last Radiohead show that's the only thing that comes close to it. Him being up front on that satellite stage at um, 
Panorama was probably the best concert experience I ever had. And you had to be inside because there was a surround sound. You had to be inside these speakers or it wasn't the same. And you had to be up on the satellite stage because it was there was nothing like it. Um, so, yeah, I'm going to go with Frank on this, but I love them both. <laughs> nice. nice. Uh, yeah, I'm definitely jealous. I was going to go to Coachella with Frank and all that fun stuff, but no, <laughs> probably not happening from what it sounds like um a lot of people on the boards are going we haven't really talked much about the boards um but i'm just of everyone going to coachella here in a week or two it's almost always falls on my birthday weekend or right around there but it also almost always falls around finals and as a college student and a graduate student it was never really possible for me to fly over there during um the end of a semester and now working in some college counseling similarly i feel like i shouldn't abandoned my folks right at the heat of the semester and I, I guess I essentially just chose Primavera over what could have been Coachella this year and, and ACL in the past but um, I'm jealous of everyone if he comes out on that stage which it feels like he is the closer we get to it I'm, yeah. I'm jealous of everyone that's going to be at those shows and I'm sure whether it's new or old music he's gonna he's gonna bring it so that's be a show of a lifetime and Coachella's just absolutely stacked this year so I've always been jealous especially the last four or five years but <laughs> I felt like in my heyday like Lala could stick with it not pound for pound but it was close and some of those Bonnaroo's I mentioned were close but now it feels like Coachella is like a landslide over a lot of American fests so I was born on the wrong coast I guess and without a lot of funds, without a lot of money in the bank from the, the family. So one mm. get over there, but I'm jealous for the Coachella folks. Good. Good. Well, do you have any things that you just want to talk about in general that we have not hit so far? Um, we've hit a lot of stuff, especially the non-info stuff. We've definitely hit the festivals. Again, I could go on and on. I love music festivals. Yeah. and truly like a music nerd and on the boards for that reason i don't find myself on like the games and stuff like that i just don't have the time like on a computer but man do i love like rumor season and comparing lineups and just like being at a music festival yeah. i'm so excited to go to primavera and to get back to one after covid and not going acl 19 was my last one wow. um, with my wife and I'm just so excited to get back and I'm excited she's on board and um, it was her idea to kind of split the honeymoon and go to Europe or go to Spain and also go to Primavera Sound and I got all, a lot of the reviews from people on the boards the last few years but especially last year when like everybody went so yeah. excited for that that's amazing you get to split your honeymoon at Primavera we compromised I mean she loves music and live music and festivals but um it's like definitely my thing but yeah. she likes europe and i've never been so it was like let's go to barcelona here's this festival you've always wanted to go to and i want to go to spain and i love all this music too and we just needed the pesh mode to be one of the headliners and we got locked in went in blind other than that and are pretty happy with the lineup yeah. fk Wigs dropping broke my heart she was my number one on the whole thing <laughs> and dropped and i've only seen her once but uh but we're still obviously going and really looking forward to that. We delayed the honeymoon because of the jobs we do and to just see how money looked after the after the wedding in September. But um, we're going and we're going to have a blast and I'm excited. Oh, yeah. Congratulations. That'll be fun. Thank you. Appreciate it. All right. Here it comes then. Here it comes. <laughs> do you have any wisdom that you'd like to impart on the audience? um yeah I, th I thought about this leading up to this you know what i would say i would say to be open to and have compassion for all parts of the self even the ones that feel unsavory um or disturbing or primitive but to have compassion for oneself um and to welcome even the things that feel painful and to try to stay open to that um obviously in others too and to have compassions but I, for others but i think it starts within 
There was a lot of good ones though. I think curiosity was great. I think uh, it might have been Dan Bob was talking about just doing things like just basically even if you fail, it's a learning experience. A lot of stuff I probably would have said was taken in the 18 that I've listened to. Um, even True Vine's little take through what to do with panic and anxiety was kind of like you and him unpacked a good good way of treating anxiety. So there's been some good ones on here, but I'm I'm going to go with compassion. I don't know if that's taken. So sorry if I copy someone that's in episodes 19 through 31, but uh, I'm not there yet. Well, thank you. Thank you for joining me. This has been very fun. You have a great day. And audience, thank you for listening. Thank you, Jason. Appreciate it.